Warning, some things in our podcast may not be suitable for everyone. We talk about cults and murders, and due to the nature of our podcast, may use harsh language at times. Hi guys, and welcome to another exciting episode of Cults and Crime. I am one of your hosts, Jamie. And I'm your other host, Nicole. So this week, we guys, we are still stuck in our homes, which has not really affected the podcasting so much. So our loss is your gain. Yes, that is true, because we have nothing better to do. <laughs> hey guys, uh, so before we get started, I wanted to let everybody know we were going to be doing a special episode on Thursdays through this wonderful app we found called Get Vocal. Guys, we are really excited about this because it's going to be live, which is something that we have never done before. Is it going to be a train wreck? We don't know yet. But we really hope you guys can join us. Yeah, we'd love to see you guys. So if you have any questions that you've been dying to ask us, now is your time. DM, DM us any questions you have regarding true crime or any questions at all. We're happy to answer. Okay, guys, we're going to be on at 6 p.m. standard specific time. So we hope you guys can watch us and talk to us and interact. We're really excited to do this and we really want you guys to be there with us. Yeah, and we'll be on for about an hour. So it's going to be a longer episode as well. So if you really want your true crime fix, and we're not even the only people going on. So it's a whole lineup. It's all Thursday night. It's multiple places. And when we have more information, we'll put it on our social media site. Exactly. But we are so excited to be, we're so excited to be going around with our fellow true crime enthusiasts and spreading some knowledge and some fun. And talking about what we love most, true crime. Exactly. So, speaking of true crime, Jamie, what are we talking about? Okay, guys, this week, we're doing a big one. We're talking about the Waco siege. So, I've never heard of the Waco siege. All I know about Waco is, uh, you know, (laughs) fixer-uppers. Well, Waco, Texas is known for several things. Baylor University, and it's home to the fixer-uppers Chip and Joanna Gaines. Which, by the way, guys, I have been to their farm. It's beautiful, and I loved it. But I digress. Waco is also home to the Waco Siege, where ATF and FBI agents attempted to raid a cult compound belonging to the Branch Davidians. During the course of the raid, 76 members of the church died, including 20 children and the leader of the church, David Koresh. All right, Jamie. So let's dive in. So David Koresh, like every single cult leader, was not born David Koresh. He was born Vernon Wayne Howell, August 17th, 1959, in Houston, Texas. His mother was only 14 at the time of his birth, and his father left after finding a new teenage girl to be in love with and sexually assault, basically. Leaving his mother to raise him alone, his mother unfortunately had bad taste in men, and after his dad left, she lived with an alcoholic before she ran away with her boyfriend. She left David to be, um, she left David to be raised by his grandmother, and as far as school goes, David did really bad. First off, he was dyslexic, and with his unstable home life, he was put into special education courses and just to like help him keep up. Unfortunately, he didn't really make it through high school. He only made it to junior year before he dropped out. Following the footsteps of his following the footsteps of his father, he got a 15-year-old pregnant when he was 19. Oh wow. After he became So after this, he became a born-again Christian and joined the Southern Baptist Church before switching to his mother's church, Seven-day Adventist Church. 
there which by the way you guys are going to be like seven day adventures church that's the cult he's in no he switches to a different cult he goes from cult to cult it's exciting so there he attempted to continue his abusive minors with the pastor's daughter and according to david crush he prayed to god for guidance but opened up his bible to find isaiah 34 16. none should want for her mate so he saw this and was like, this is a sign from God. I must have this child. And he went to the pastor and told him that God wanted him to marry his daughter. The pastor understandably denied his request. This didn't stop David in his pursuit of the pastor's daughter and eventually got him kicked out of the congregation after he got her pregnant. According to Robert Helderman, David's brother, this was really where his obsession with religion started. David's family relocated to a farm in a small town of Chandler, 94 miles east of Dallas. The house was remote, and David Crush would disappear for days at a time to pray and commune with God. When he wasn't missing, he was preaching to his family members. As he got more and more involved in his faith, he moved churches. In 1981, he joined the Branch Davidians as a handyman. So you guys are probably wondering... How did someone start as a handyman and move their way up to the head of the church? Well, it was kind of a long, sordid history, but he started being... So how it started was he started playing guitar and singing in the church services at the Mar at the Mount Carmel Center. This is the headquarters of the church. It's just outside of Eight Waco. So as he was doing this, people really were drawn to him. If you ask the four members of the church, they'll say he had this magnetic personality and that you'd hear him and he was just so authoritative and he just made you want to follow him. So it was while at the church that he met his wife, Rachel Jones. She was 14 at the time and the daughter of two other parishioners of the church and they were really devout people. So her parents gave her to David with permission to marry. I just don't understand why. I, is it even illegal or is it even legal to marry at 14? Normally, no, but in Texas, where this took place, if you have your parents' permission, it is. But I think this shows more than anything else that David was starting to have a real hold on the parishioners of the church. Yeah, that definitely does. I couldn't even yeah. imagine. Well, we have a niece, and she's not too far from 14. And she's a child. Like, she's a baby. Like, yeah, I she's... love her. She's a young woman, but... You look at her and she looks like a child. Yeah, and to even think about it, it's like, she's not mature enough to be married. I'm barely mature enough to be married and I'm 26 years old. Exactly. So can you imagine, like, before you even finish high school, before you even go to high school, you're married. You're going into, well, I don't know if she ever went to high school, honestly. I doubt I, it. I doubt the church would allow it. Yeah, so literally she could have been someone who was going into high school married to a guy who is way older and way more experienced than her. It's not like he waited around his whole life for her. Yeah, exactly. I so just couldn't imagine what kind of parents I just couldn't imagine what kind of parents would allow their child to get married at 14. Well, the David Branch Davidians were always they were always much of a cult. So these people were already brainwashed to follow like the leaders of this organization. So David just kind of piggybacked on that. If that makes sense to you guys. Like, yeah, there's I get a it. Lot, Sorry. There's like a lot of interesting psychological stuff that happened. 
like even just the branch of Vidians, which one day I will cover, I promise. I do I'll, later on. I'm think I'm gonna tell you guys a little fun stuff about it. I just don't. It doesn't fit in right here. But like there is some interesting stuff that happens with this cult as well. But like her family was really, really devout. Like their whole family was in this cult. And eventually her whole family works really closely with David. So I don't know how exactly he wormed his way into his family's life, but they were really devoted to him. They 100% believed in him. And like you could tell that because they literally gave their daughter to him. Yeah, I, get, I totally understand that. So this is really just going to show you that he was having a really big role in this church. And they were starting to follow him in his words and teachings. But it wasn't until 1983 that David began to claim prophetic powers. At this time, the cult was run by the widow of the former cult leader, Louis Rodden, and her son, George Rodden, was set to take place... No. And her, and her son, George Rodden, was set to take over the cult, and he was really not happy with how much attention David was getting. So Lewis even let Koresh start teaching his own message called The Serpent's Root. The message was controversial and it split the group. And in a book, A Place Called Waco by David Thibodeau, he speculated this was because David was having a sexual relationship with Lewis. Lewis was in her late 60s at this time. And we've already talked about David had a long history preferring minors and younger women. So then why now? Why the 60-year-old lady? Well, if he was having sex with her, it was purely to gain power. So, um, hmm, I didn't write this down. It's not in my notes. But I did read somewhere that at some point someone asked him about having sex with her. And he's like, if I could get her pregnant, I really would be God. Well, that's incredibly rude, but okay. So he did have a prediction that he and Lewis were going to have a child together. And the child would be the quote, quote, chosen one. Okay, so did that prediction ever come to fruition? Not that I saw. So the cult wasn't... This is why people aren't exactly sure if they were having sex or not. Like, David said that they should, and maybe they were, but there's no child and there's no proof. So it's a lot of speculation. So the cult was in turmoil, turmoil at this point, and there was a power struggle between Rodden and David Koresh. George Rodden claimed to have the support of the majority of the cult, and they forced Koresh and his followers off the property at gunpoint. So David and around 25 followers set up a camp at Palestine, Texas. This was 90 miles away from Waco. And they lived under really rough conditions, you know, in buses and tents for the next two years. Oh, well, that's kind of sad. Well, David Crash kept recruiting, and he even traveled to, like, he traveled to California, and he even traveled to Israel to search for new followers. And he's bringing them back to what is essentially a homeless camp. So it was in Israel that he claimed to be the new Cyprus, who was the founder of the first Persian Empire. He prophesied that he was God's tool, and he would set up a divinic um, kingdom in Jerusalem, which is actually really close to the original teachings of the original Davidic guy who made this religion up. So the more time passed, though, his predictions changed. Instead of Jerusalem, he decided the prophecy would be filled in Waco, Texas, specifically the Mount Carmel Center. So after Lewis Rodham died, David decided this would be a really good opportunity to call it back. Fresh showed up at the compound with seven armed men. The result was Rodham being shot in the head and chest. This would be one of the earlier cases of David brushing against the law, um, and the group would eventually be acquitted 
because David Crush claimed that he had been aiming at a tree and accidentally shot Robin twice. Um, that makes zero sense, but okay. Yeah, and he told the police that the reason for the visit was to uncover criminal disturbance of a corpse by Robin. I think this also kind of shows who he was, like what kind of hold he'd had on people. He convinced, you know, a whole jury that he had been accidentally shooting when he killed, when he like almost killed someone. Like he, Rodden lived, weirdly enough. Yeah, it sounds like he was like, oh, it was just a warning shot that I hit him with multiple times. (laughs) Just a warning. Like, don't worry, I was aiming at a tree. I'm just a bad shot. And like, he got acquitted. So that just kind of shows you like, he was probably a pretty charismatic person. Cause these, like, it's not like these were his parishioners that were like, oh yeah, he did this. It was everyday people. So a fun side cult story, and I think this is where I'm going to put in the fun stuff from the other Davidic people. So in 1989, Rodden, the leader of the gunshot and the gunshot victim. Okay. So this is the fun. This is going to be, I'm going to do a little fun uh, side cult story here, guys. In 1989, Rodden, the leader and gunshot victim, would eventually be tried for murder himself. He would kill a man named Dale Dodar after he claimed that he was actually the messiah. So he killed him by hitting him in the head with an axe. Oh. Yeah, Dave, um, Rodham would be found insane and hospitalized, but this would be the opening David Crush needed to get into the compound. That and the thousands of dollars that were owed for unpaid taxes at the Mount Carmel Center. Wait, but it's supposed to be a church. Churches don't pay taxes. Um, you don't pay taxes as far as like what you make, but you do pay property taxes, I think. Good thing to look up later so it's a good thing for someone in this group probably me since i'm the cult person to look up but i did not i digress someone will continue someone Someone should do some research someone dms somebody should have done research i honestly didn't think about it because well the thing is so to be a church you have to apply to the government to be a church so maybe they just didn't do that step yeah i could totally see that which also didn't do the research on, but that's what I'm guessing. So when Koresh paid off the taxes, he got control of the compound, and they found out that the past tenants that had rented from Rodden had left behind a meth lab. So Koresh reported this to the police, and it was removed. Oh, but shit. I just thought it was kind of a. Yeah, I thought it was just kind of like an interesting tidbit. Yeah, definitely. So after Koresh gained control, he officially changed his name to David, according to Dork. After Crush gained control, he officially changed his name to David, according to court documents for publicity and business purposes. So David for the Branch Davidians is to so David for the Branch Davidians to symbolize what he thought was a direct lineage from the biblical king David, and Crush came from the biblical name of Cyprus the Great, which we already discussed was the first king of the Persian Empire. David Koresh had absolute control over his followers, and this allowed him to take multiple wives who were mostly underaged. The group believed strongly in the predictions in the Book of Revelations, and David predicted that the end times were near and that the Messiah, him, was going to help the cult bring in these end times. So they believed that they were going to herald in the end times, like they were going to be what was responsible for the end times. So part of him doing this was taking wives and part of it was ordering all the men in the cult to be celibate. 
You're kidding me. I am not. Everyone in the cult was celibate except for David. And the women he was forcing to have sex with him. What possible reason would that be? Like, what? It makes no sense. Okay, so while he took more and more wives, some who were the former wives of his followers, mind you, he even married his legal wife's sister, uh, Michelle Jones. She was 12 when she started having sex with David. Oh my god, that's horrible. Yeah, she was, so she was told that God wanted her to be his second wife. And at first she wasn't really super keen on the idea because she's 12 and that's her brother-in-law. But then Rachel, his wife, his um, legal wife, had a dream that God demanded he marry Michelle. So I don't know if she had this dream or if Koresh told her she had this dream. But they were married shortly after and they had their first child by the time she was 14. Reports from the former members of the cult claim that girls as young as 12 were giving these small stars of David, and this was to signify that they had the light and that they should have sex with Koresh. In an interview with David's brother in the, through the Daily Mail, they reported that even his brother wasn't completely happy with David's choice of wives. He was fine with the polygamy, but, and I quote, became uneasy later after realizing how young some of the girls were and says he disliked his brother's habit of taking other men's wives. But he still defended Koresh, telling Daily Mail TV the majority of them weren't kids or wanted to be there. I include this quote because the last part, the majority of them weren't kids or wanted to be there, implying that the underage girls wanted to be his wives. So I'm not trying to smudge David's brother, who was very obviously brainwashed like the rest of the cult. But I kind of wanted to highlight this because it just shows how the whole group could trick themselves into letting this abuse happen by thinking the girls, these underage children, wanted to be his wives, you know? Well, even if that's what they wanted, a 12-year-old child doesn't know what they want. Not long-term anyways. They, you know, that's just part of life. You grow up. You learn who you are. At the age of 12, you don't even know who you are. You're covered in pimples and you're worried about David because he's, you know, you like him. So you write his name in your binder. You don't go and marry a cult leader and pop out a kid at 14. Oh no, if I had been with the person I was crushing on at age 14, let's see. I that was middle school. It was B, um, Nick. I'm not going to give his last name for security purposes for him, but... Let's just say he is not in a place right now where I would be happy being with him. He did not turn out well. You know who I'm talking about, right, Nicole? Yeah, I do, Jamie. I'm trying to. Fi- I'm just sitting here trying to figure who my crush was in middle school. Um, I had to be fair, Nicole. So he, many. D- he does play D and D though, so maybe there could be something there. Oh, definitely, definitely. Oh yeah, that definitely would have been a happy marriage where both of us are happy and content with our lives. <laughs> so moving on. Crush preached the New Light Doctrine, and he wanted to have 24 children to occupy the 24 thrones written about in the Book of Revelations. He convinced his cult that he was a messiah, and the cult would be responsible for bringing in the end times. Jamie, can you please explain to me why all these cults are always such doom and gloom? Why is there no, like, happiness and, like, joy? Why is it always bringing on the end of times? I don't get it. Well, it's a specific type of cult that we tend to talk about a little bit more because they're a little bit more exciting to talk about. But think about the Church of the Most High Goddess. They weren't, you know, doom and gloom. They were basically just a sex cult. 
I'm not even convinced they're a cult. I'm pretty sure it's just an elaborate prostitution ring. Fair, fair enough. But they had like they had pamphlets. They had religious pamphlets, which uh, like to the government like there's a few, there's a few things you need, but one of them are like pamphlets to give out to, to show that you are actually a religion. Like it's not a well, yes. in my opinion, it doesn't seem like a lot of work to become a church in this country. <laughs> Jamie, not as hard as you might think. Like I don't, it doesn't to me. It doesn't seem like it, but I've never applied, so maybe it's like, hey, the application's easy, but they turn down a lot of people. I'm sure they do. They're like, oh, you didn't use APA formatting. <laughs> Done. Like all of us in college, <laughs> spurned, triggered. No, I got an 80 on a, no, I got like a, yeah, I got an 80 on something. And I'm like, how, this was perfect. How did I get an 80? Um, I got 20% marked down because I did not cite because I didn't use the stuff that she gave us. Like I didn't cite it because I didn't use it. Ooh. But um, she's like, you should have, she's like, I gave you the articles to cite. And I'm like, girl, I didn't read your articles. They were useless to me. Girl, you're, yeah, you're, it was garbage. My thing's better. Yeah. Well, I didn't say anything. So, sorry, guys. I know we're going off track here, but. Hey, you know, we're quarantine hour, okay? We're all, we all know that currently we are all sitting in our pajamas on our 16th cup of coffee, ready to do absolutely nothing with our day. Or wine. Yeah, or so, wine. The, literally, the assignment was to list it was like it was a non-research experiment. So we talked about like when we go on road trips, how many times do you stop? Why do you stop? How much money do you spend? That kind of stuff. And I feel like I did not need to cite my sources to remember my last road trip that I took with my husband. Well, that do, why do you need to cite sources? You're the source. You're citing yourself. Yep. Um also, why for an experimental psychology class are we doing this? That is an excellent question, Jamie. I don't know. It's a mixture between running like really big statistical probabilities, like really long, annoying statistical probabilities, and this. Yeah, I, I honestly am left blank. I don't understand the whole I'm school doing system. Better on the statistical pro- I'm doing better on the statistical probabilities somehow. That's interesting. Yeah, it is, because I'm not good at math. I was like, interesting and very unlike you. It truly is. So there was a lot of allegations about child abuse and sexual abuse because of all these marriages. And as far as underage girls, they were only ever really able to prove that he was married to um, or was having sex with Michelle Jones, Rachel, jo- Rachel his wife's uh, younger daughter. But there was a six-month investigation of child abuse alleged by the Texas Child Protective Services in 1992. And it failed to turn up any evidence, possibly because they really concealed a lot of their marriages. And that, like, they gave her a fake husband as well. You show, like, oh, no, I'm not married to her. She's married to someone else. And her parents are okay with it. So, like, it was hard for them to prove it because they're like, oh, no, he, she's married to an older man. But in Texas, it's illegal to be, it's legal to be married to older men as long as your parents say it's okay. So the evidence is a little like even weird weirder for like child abuse so there's like these really big wild reports that they were abusing like infants and there's a one that like claimed that when he was irritated it was about his son crying he'd spank his child severely for several minutes until the child stopped crying um and there's a, a report that the children wouldn't eat for days or that they'd be beaten with sticks but when the fbi was there they didn't see any of that like well when um child services were there they didn't see any of that 
So it's one of those things where when you child protective services are in your home, you put on your best smile. And these people were so in love with him that they would have, you know, they never would have stopped. They never would have stopped him from doing any of that. Well, you see all those documentaries about, like, polygamous communities, and they always hide. They're very secretive. But tune in Thursday while we do our very first live show. We will be putting links and stuff all over our Instagram. If you guys have any questions you guys want us to talk about, please go ahead and send us those messages. We are going to be talking about, we're going to be revisiting Zodiac Case with fun new information that we didn't get to in the podcast, including possible suspects, where the movie went wrong. It's going to be really fun and interesting, and we know you guys love the Zodiac case just as much as we do. Guys, the Zodiac episode was one of my favorites, but because of, you know, episode length-wise, I wasn't able to go over every small detail, and now I'm finally getting my chance, and I am so excited. So guys, tune in next week for Waco, and tune in Thursday for our very first live episode. Hope to see you guys there. Have a good week. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And love on true crime just as much as we do. See you guys next time. Bye. Production by Jamie. Production and editing by Nicole. Our intro music is Wrong by Dan Henning. Our background music is In Albany, New York by the 129ers.